And someone with even a lot more to say is my daughter, Paulina, who's here with me today. We are celebrating the release of our new book. There it is. It doesn't have to be awkward. Uh, you can pick it up now, Amazon, anywhere else. You can doctor.com slash awkward is a place where you can get the book as well. Your local bookstore. Local bookstore. Special we are um, uh, Right. We are on, oh, does it need a special order? No, okay. it's everywhere. I didn't think so. Um, and so we're also on Clubhouse, uh, taking your calls if you want to come up and ask us questions. We're going to kind of be talking about the book today, I hope, but we'll take any, you know, it's sort of an AMA thing if you guys want to ask other stuff. Happy to do so. You uh, raise your hand here at Clubhouse, and I'll bring you up to the podium. Now, if you agree to come up, uh, note well that you are also on uh, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and uh, I think Rumble. Caleb, Rumble also? I'm not sure. Uh, I think we do. Rumble. Yes, also yeah, Rumble. Also I've Rumble. never heard of Rumble before. There, I, there's, there's more platforms all the time. Um, in fact, uh, in fact, Caleb, my uh, locals platform was complaining that we don't do a separate locals sort of screen, much the way Scott Adam does all these different screens. So we can kind of talk about that at some point. So Paulina well, came. Actually, in what I had heard is that Rumble is being built into locals pretty soon, and so you'll actually be able to merge all that stuff together. There you we go. Have like a partnership coming up. That is the voice of God. That is Caleb Nation, our producer. <laughs> and uh, he is in Alabama while he produces the show from there, which is the, the wonder of the digital world. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin. Ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. I want to give a shout out to our good friends at Blue Mics. If you've heard my voice on this show any time over the past year, including right now, you've been listening to Blue Microphones. And let me tell you, after more than 30 years in broadcasting, I don't think I have ever sounded better. But you don't need to be a pro or have a fancy studio to benefit from a quality mic. You may not realize it, but if you've been working from home or using Zoom to chat with friends, you probably spend a lot of time in front of a microphone. So why not sound your best? Whether you're doing video conferencing, podcasting, recording music, or hosting a talk show, Blue has you covered. From the USB series that plugs right into your computer to XLR professional mics like the mouse or the Blueberry we use in the studio right now. Bottom line, there's a Blue microphone to fit your budget and need. I can't say enough about Blue mics, and once you try one, you will never go back. Trust me. To take your audio to the next level, go to drdrew.com blue. That is drdrew.com B-L-U-E. Anyone who's watched me over the years knows that I'm obsessed with Hydrolyte. In my opinion, the best oral rehydration product on the market. I literally use it every day. My family uses it. When I had COVID, I'm telling you, Hydrolyte contributed to my recovery, kept me hydrated. Now, with things finally reopening back around the country, the potential exposure to the common cold is always around. And like always, Hydrolyte has got your back. Hydrolyte Plus Immunity, my new favorite, starts with their fast-absorbing electrolytes and adds a host of great ingredients Plus, each single-serving easy-pour drink mix contains 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C, 300 milligrams of elderberry extract. Hydrolyte Plus Immunity comes in convenient, easy-to-pour sticks that rapidly dissolve in water, make a great-tasting drink, has 75% less sugar than your typical sports drink. 
It uses all natural flavors, gluten-free, dairy-free, caffeine-free, non-GMO, and even vegan. Hydrolite Plus Immunity is also now available in ready-to-drink bottles at the Walmart next to the pharmacy. Or as always, you can find it by visiting hydrolite.com slash Dr. Drew. Again, that is H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E dot com slash D-R-D-R-E-W. Be sure to use the code Dr. Drew 25 for a special discount. So I'm also watching you guys on the restream. Uh, and thank you for the congratulations on the book. We appreciate it. Uh, yes, uh, a trustee. Pauline is one of the triplets. She is uh, 28 years of age. Uh, and let's see. You know, <laughs> were you the one, Pauline, that looked at the stream and was when asked why people were calling me Hitler? Yes. Okay. Pauline was disturbed that people were um, mean on, on the restream here because they kept calling me, hey, Hitler. Um, <laughs> those of you who... Uh, we did a full Nazi show yesterday, by the way. It was fascinating. But um, about uh, General Kemmler, who the Americans hid. And he, I'll tell you the story sometimes. Okay. Not, not where they were <laughs> But you can, watch, you can watch the stream. In any event, um, Hey Hitler is a reference to a Your Mom's House thing where uh, Your Mom's House, the users there send crazy videos in. And one video series is this psychotic young lady who goes online every day because... She thinks she's talking to Hitler. So her 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 sort of video logs or video diaries start out with, hey, Hitler, <laughs> every day. I feel like you've explained this to me so many times. Yes. But I forget every single time because well, it's such a strange It's so bizarre. And, and we really don't even know if she's part if she's in on the joke or if she's actually psychotic. It's, it's kind of hard to tell. Oh, so that's sad. It, it may be sad. And by the way, it stopped after a period, which means she probably got treatment and stuff. So it's good. Um, okay, well, here's uh, Stephanie comes right at us with questions that um, you are teed up for. You ready? Is she's? I, I'm not sure quite what you're asking, Stephanie, but I'm going to tee it up for Pauline, and she should be able to answer this for you in some fashion. Are, and the answer, the question is, and I think I know what she's asking: Are transgender and gender dysphoria the same thing? So I want to start by saying that I am not a transgender person. I, you know, have studied queer issues and so i'm going to answer to the best of my and, ability and we both have friends that are transgender both of us right yeah. um and i've had patients that are transgender many over the years way back before it was a common topic too so gender dysphoria is part of the experience of being trans in that gender dysphoria is a symptom of being caught in the wrong body so experiencing gender dysphoria would be like i have a penis but i am a woman and I think it was also part of the in the DSM five or four um, as sort of a way to categorize it. Yeah, it, it, there's debate about whether it should be pathologized, but I think there will always need to be a diagnosis. Do you know why? Why? Because of the way the medical system works. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of the treatments for for people who have these feelings require medical management, and you can't get reimbursement for medical management without a diagnosis. But then so, also just the the sort of phrase gender dysphoria is kind of right. I bet that gets morphed into something else. Yeah. Um, however, uh, we did an interview here with uh, Caitlyn Jenner and I, I don't know. It was now it wasn't here. I had dinner with her right before that. And she really, I did not know how long she struggled with this and, and to describe it as a gender dysphoria would describe the state she was in. Mm -hmm. She was really, I mean, she'd created this huge, edifice bruce jenner uh, on wheaties boxes mm -hmm. and was feeling so horrible about it she was dysphoric make no mistake about it but that so. being said gender euphoria exists so mm -hmm. people who are living freely as trans people um if you you know 
search the hashtag gender euphoria, you will see a lot of trans people living freely and happily in their bodies. And so, yes, gender dysphoria is part of the trans experience, but so is gender euphoria. Interesting. That's an interesting way to frame it. So somebody on the stream here asked, uh, I think they asked, so what's the book about? I think, yeah, there it is. What's a pocket full of posies, which wish that was your screen name. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what is, so what is consent about? I mean, what is the book about? So there was a book that I was approached to do about consent in the aftermath of the, not the aftermath, the middle of the, uh, the uh, hashtag me too stuff. And young people were very confused and very upset. They didn't want to do the wrong thing. So we talked about writing a book, and I, I just said, I need a, I need a young voice. And Paulina's a writer. Paulina knows this territory well. She's living at, at Columbia all the time. Let me bring her in, and that was a very, very good move. The so consent was the original conceit, but we backed again. The the topic to us felt much broader. We wanted to take it away from legal consent and medical consent, and tackle the the broader topic of. Um, of relationships, of, of relationships mm -hmm. and how to navigate relationships, consent being a piece of it. But how do you set up relationships so consent can be navigated uh, more easily? Ultimately, by taking consent out of a sexual context and putting it into an interpersonal context, it gives people a lot more practice with consent before they get into a sexual situation. So we have lots of we have lots of comments and we have some questions here. I'm going to get the hands that are up if I can get my phone to work here. All right. Uh, again, my phone is always wonky with uh, clubhouse katie katie what's going on there there you are hi katie hi guys congrats on y'all's book by the way thank cheers. you cheers thank um, you wanted to ask about i guess yeah in that realm of consent and um had questionable stuff with um a pediatrician as a kid mm. and was wondering Ugh. how do you go about uncovering it or i've even talked to other people within that world of you have to just file a complaint, almost like, you know, I had bad service at a restaurant or something weird. Well, How do a, I like it's, navigate it's a, that world? It's a, it, I, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm laughing in a, in a sort of a glib way because there's not no, a super satisfactory way to do this at a distance. How long ago was that? Oh my God. Um, I mean, elementary school. I mean, I, okay. I'm in my early 30s I, I think the way, the best way to do it, and if other people have other ideas, I'm open, but this to me seems like the way to do it. It's it's much like filing a police report when you realize years later somebody did something bad to you and you, you at least mm -hmm. want that on the record in case there are other people that start reporting stuff. So you sort of get a, a file there. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Right. right. And so the, what state are you in? I'm in NC. North Carolina. Um, there is there is a there's a medical board uh, in California. The code's called the Medical Board of Quality Assurance. I, I don't know if it's called Bumco there or what, but but there is a medical board, a state licensing board. Let's put it that way. There's the, there's a, a a a bureaucracy that supervises and issues the licensing for physicians. You should make a complaint. At very minimum, the physician is asked to respond to it, provide the records, and if there are other complaints, believe me that agency will make note of it. And I, and I think too, the fact that you're willing to talk about it and talk it, about it with other people is a huge, huge, huge thing. And I find when, I mean, obviously, you know, talking about childhood abuse is really difficult, but I just want to commend you for just talking about it and potentially talking about it with others because I think the more that we talk about it, the more destigmatized it becomes. No, I appreciate that. Honestly, watch 
watching the story of the gymnast, the U.S. gymnast, mm-hmm. it kind of opened this Pandora's box of, oh, my God. This well, let, let me just life. tell you that, you know, I think about what that was and how that happened. And there was a lot of strange practice in in pediatrics and gynecology back in the day in, in, where mm-hmm. where kids and women were treated uh, were objectified highly objectified and we as the physicians just did what they needed to do you know whatever it was i just just sit tight while i do it uh and mm-hmm. i i remember when I, I don't know why this is occurring to me but i remember when i was a ward clerk at a hospital and i was a like a 20 year old and pediatrician a surgeon actually went in and tried to express an abscess falling in appendicitis on a like a nine-year-old and this nine-year-old was screaming her brains out in pain and I, mm-hmm. i'll never forget it I, I was not a physician yet. i was 20 years old i was like oh my god there has to be a better way and uh and he was angry with the patient for not sitting still while he did what he had to do mm. and that that's mm-hmm. kind of for me what was kind of going on at the time you know it's just uh you know you're and objectification is almost too kind a word to what what it used to be, but there you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, watch the Nick if you want to see how it, how it went at the turn of the twentieth century. That that was sure. the the best best rendition I've ever seen of how how medicine. On one hand, it was wonderful and glorious that they were trying to help people. On the other, they just were kind of right. wild in what they did. So, all right, thanks, Katie. Good luck with that. Okay. Thank you all so much. All right, you bet. Uh, I saw something else I wanted to comment here, and now I've already forgotten what it was. That is the aging brain issue. Thank you so much. <laughs> Can I, oh, I interject for a sec? Before you do, real quick, uh, Caleb, uh, Twitch is saying they can't log in right now. Um, that's that's somebody, uh, No, they're, some, they're on there. That's strange. No, they can't. I'll look at it. Well, there's something weird with Twitter, like... Um, it switched over from Periscope recently. Mm-hmm. So I can see that we have people watching, but I can't see their comments and they're not coming through the restream. Oh, that's interesting. And when we re- we had to reconnect with Twitter, uh-huh. maybe Caleb needs to go in there and figure out to ma- how to make so sure. So that's true. I've noticed I have not, I just noticed I wasn't seeing Periscope. I mean, anymore. there's 34 people there. I just told them to go to the other platforms if they want to make comments on the restream. So, so if you go to drdrew.tv and click on, the link to Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch, then you can leave a comment and Drew will be able to see it. He doesn't really, he isn't, we're not really able to see it on Rumble, but um, but you can leave comments there, but we probably won't see those either. Uh, Damayanta, I'm not quite sure what you're saying One day we'll get this all there. perfected. I'm not quite sure what you want, but I but I appreciate your your positive comments here and his gratitude. Uh, wait, let's see. Uh, Thanks, Paulina, third gender. Don't read out loud just in oh. case this is something that... Okay. Uh, so in the meantime, let me just re- read some of the other ones. It's, it's hard to follow that one. You, you, uh, deal you with take this. it away. I'll deal with that. Uh, so somebody was also talking about um, American Frontline Doctors and stuff. Listen, the, 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 there's going to be real treatment soon. Just everybody sit tight. Within a month, there's going to be extremely powerful antivirals. And so these sort of uh, slop shots on the on the margins, which we've been trying to use, you know, repurpose things, and every, you know, and one of them helped me. Fluvoxamine helped me a lot. I'm not saying there's nothing to it. I'm saying it's marginal compared to what we're going to have soon. So sit tight, sit tight, everybody. And and my my advice to everybody: don't be confident in your opinions about anything when it comes to COVID. Be skeptical. Be open. Be you know sort of fluid and you know what you're thinking. Always don't let cognitive dissonance you know prevent you from thinking more clearly and taking updating your priors constantly. Update your priors. That's that's medicine. Okay, uh, let's go to Dustin. 
Uh, again, you're going to be streaming on multiple platforms. If you agree to come up to the platform, the uh, podium here, and Dustin, what's going on? Hey, Dr. Drew. Um, I just wanted to ask about some allergy symptoms that I've been uh, right. uh, dealing with my whole, pretty much my whole life. I uh -huh. figured out a few years ago that. Uh, you know, it was a lot of diet related stuff mm -hmm. and I lost 50 pounds. Good a lot you. of the allergy medications went, that I had to take went away. Mm -hmm. Um, but recently the last month or so I've been having some severe allergy symptoms and I had to switch up my medication from loratadine to the, um, the, the reactant version. Okay. And that sort of took care of it. Okay. One of the things that was weird, it was when I was having allergy reactions, like when I would, drink alcohol mm -hmm. it didn't affect me as much and what would you call but, allergy reactions so trouble breathing stuffy nose and i guess the, the you know the, there's there's fatigue that goes along right. with that because so of that's lack of that's oxygen. really that's really interesting I, I i i don't have a good explanation for that was it any particular kind of alcohol beer 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 yeah. interesting you would think I would think that would make it worse, but but um, I will tell you when I was I had the strangest thing when I was having my long haul COVID, my fatigue would get significantly better with one glass of wine, and with a second glass of wine, become twice as bad. It was the well, strangest damn thing. Yeah. Let me let me Go clarify. Ahead. So what I mean is when I was having the allergy symptoms, the the alcohol didn't get me drunk. And when I took the antihistamine, then I could, uh, then I could, you know, get intoxicated. I, I have no explanation for that. Yeah. Although antihistamines <laughs> are already sedating, but I have no good explanation for that. I, I'd have okay. to really study what was going on. To, yeah, to uh, a friend who's a, uh, a doctor who deals with these kinds of uh, allergy stuff uh, said it uh, might have something to do with my liver, but. Uh, yeah, we're going to do some you, blood tests and figure yeah, it out. You, you, you literally, <laughs> you drank as much as, no, it's a brain thing. You drank yeah. as much as you, normally intoxicates you, right? Yeah. And, and after the loratadine or the other drugs, you, you didn't get it. So I, you know, there are, a, there is, you know, alcohol dehydrogenase metabolism is something that's not that well understood. And that's the first thing that alcohol hits when it hits your stomach. It's We know that uh, women have significantly less alcohol dehydrogenase, and as a result, they're much more prone to alcoholic liver disease. So we know that the, uh, the, the, the accumulation prior to the alcohol dehydrogenase is you know, some of the toxic effects of, of alcohol to some extent. Some of it is the direct effect of alcohol. So again, I don't have a good explanation for it. We'd have to really we'd have to put you in a lab and study you. Sorry about that. So, Pauline, how about the how was the flight out here today? By the way, she came out here just to be with us, so to to be with you all on the book tour. Yeah, yeah. To sit here and be quiet. Um, yeah, I know. I'm gonna get, get you into more book. Yeah, time. I woke up at five thirty this morning and uh, made my way to JFK, and the flight nice. wasn't so bad. I uh, I told myself I was gonna work the full six hour flight, and instead I slept. Did you come to Burbank or did you go to uh, LAX? So, uh, Wiz Chris here, our friend from Wisconsin, gets Wait, right. How was that seat? I changed to the exit row, and that was a mistake. Oh. So our friend in Wisconsin says, Paulina, <laughs> do you think you could do a reality show about figure skating moms similar to dance moms? Oh, my God. No offense, Susan from Wiz Chris. <laughs> um, she wasn't a bad skating mom. She wasn't the one with, like, you know, facelift uh, <laughs> and uh, proclivity to suing people. So... <laughs> 
But yes, there should be a reality show about skating moms. Though I will say everything besides I, Tanya is inaccurate about ice skating because there's too much of that like princess veneer. So I, Tanya is accurate, you're saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfectly accurate. Yeah, Allison Janney with the parrot on her shoulder that is was like a skating quintessential mom. skating mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got here in the questions. Hey, those are my friends. <laughs> Were they? We had a we had a nice group of friends though that we did. We're not so well. They were always all of my I mean, friends we're, still... were better figure skaters than me, and so I would like go when they were at nationals or whatever. And um, those people we made good friendships with. Right. So, well, we're still friends. With we're some. still friends with some of them. Yeah. And one of um, I'm not going to say her name on the live stream, but one of the Pasadena girls is in my writing workshop right now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. She went to Harvard or something. She went to Harvard for ar architecture. Yeah. 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 I remember she was a lot smarter than her <laughs> dad was. Is yeah. Her not dad was prioritizing. They, they weren't trying skating. to make her a figure skater for a living. They wanted her to go to college. Yeah. I'm reading through this, the, um, the screens here. I'm sorry. There's lots of action going on on the restream. I, Tanya was amazing. Except Allison Jenny deserved the Oscar. Yes, she indeed. She did. Uh, I think it would make an amazing reality show, frankly. But it would have to have have an insider. Like, I think that's part of the problem is that it's always an insider an or a mole. Wow. Yeah. Maybe yeah. me. <laughs> oh, I see. Someone who can who can walk you through it. I agree with that. Yeah, that's a great that's a great note. Hmm. I'm gonna give that some thought. Um, any producers out there? We're going to think about this, but the, you'd have to figure out what the stakes were. Well, there's always stakes every week. There'd be a new competition. I really, yeah. yeah. Well that, if it was yeah. a summer season, but yeah. I also think, so I did ice theater growing up, which is essentially Disney on ice, but shorter and with children. Right. And you know, we did Lion King. I did Muppets. I did cats on ice. I did avatar, uh, Cirque seven years, Soleil. Cirque du Soleil, you name it. We did it. Um, and that was what the reason I quit figure skating <laughs> were the people on that team. So not all of them, some wonderful people, but all well, it, it was more, I, I would argue that it was not the individuals. It was the dynamic of the whole thing as yeah. much as anything. Plus so. it was, it wasn't the A-list skaters. It was the B-list skaters and they were, you know, it was more of an artistic thing than a competitive but they're no, just they like were very good. There was I mean, there was competition good. among groups. I remember you know, some groups. very good skaters in that group. Yeah, they no, were. they were, but it wasn't like you were trying to beat each other. You were a team oh, trying I to see. beat. But other that teams. was the problem. Yeah. And then you had they're I mean, used to beating each other to, up. Well, yeah. used, like your friends are your competitors, and your competitors are your friends. Mm -hmm. And so when you try to have them all be on a team together, they don't know how to relate to each other. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, we have a regular uh, friend here, Tom Cigars. And he wrote something I, I literally need help with. He said, he, he says, I can help. I'm Oriental. And what I need help with is, how, that's not a word I'm because comfortable in my mouth. How do I use it? <laughs> how am I supposed to use that? <laughs> Please, Tom, still help me with that. Uh, and Alana says- You're allowed uh, also, to say it if you are, right? I don't- I, don't, I think I don't, it depends. I mean, it's a antiquated word. Yeah, but it's being brought back. I know it is kind of coming back. I mean, it's it's for because the Asian, Asian can community include, to. I understand. That's why I'm asking reclaim. him for help. I okay. agree. And, and but Asian includes Indian Asian, you know, Southeast Asian right. and stuff too. So it does it gets confusing? Um, Edward Said. Ilana says, who's also one of our regulars, that we, you should write a book on this. Which yeah. I, I've tried. I like. 
I know I'm thinking about it as a YA novel, actually, Ugh. maybe because I want to yeah. repurpose real life experience. Yeah. Yeah. But also fictionalized. No, that, you could write that in an afternoon, too. Yeah. But it's so hard. Like ice skating is such a hard topic for me to broach. That, it might be very uh, therapeutic. Yeah. I like that idea. Or, yeah. Um, make it so that you can make a movie. out. Chris of Jan it. says, are the antivirals similar to those that are already on the market? Um some uh, one is a, a former HIV medicine that was not very good, but it's very good against uh, coronavirus. So yeah, repurposing medicines is always the right way to go because you know the safety profile. So it's a much quicker way to bring things out. And it turns out this one is very good against coronavirus. So it will be probably the first one out. It's called molnupiravir. And my fear is that having a single antiviral agent will create viral resistance, which is inevitable. So we got to get a second one out quickly so we can be taking two at a time, much like we do with HIV and AIDS. That's why we take three of those. Okay, here we go. Tom Cigars. I think Oriental is like the rug. <laughs> now you're confusing me more. I it's guess like a rug. Like, I know I know they're Oriental rugs, but those are sometimes made in Iran. Uh, I guess Americans yeah. prefer I call myself Pakistan. Asian. I do Oriental to troll them. Oh, well, Persia. Uh, that's good. Yeah, Persia. Well, it's Iran. Right. Um, and uh, Tom's, you're just making me screwing with my he's brain. He's being a goofball. I know he is, but he's also trying to help. He's laughing. Look at his last uh, comment. And, and Tom, that word, I will not, that should not come out of my mouth. Which one? Don't say it. I won't. No, no, no. Don't no, say that. I know better. Uh, is Adam Kroller going to come on the show? <laughs> um, he's been that's on before. Dick. He, oh, Jesus, Tom. <laughs> I'm going to stop watching your thread, just so you know. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, God. So, okay. Yeah, we missed you, Tom. We know you're there. <laughs> In charge of the LA drug market. I, I don't know what's going on there. Okay, let's go to some more, uh, more calls here, everybody. So thank you for that. Anything you want to say about the book while we're sort of on a little repose here? How's it been going, like, as far as people, responses and stuff? I've been getting positive responses. No one said anything mean to my face yet, but I like still that time. because norm, whenever I've written a book in the past, it has not been that way. So that means I consider that a good sign. Now oh. you can all go run to Amazon and give me some terrible. That's amazing. Um, Caleb, I how has the sales been from your standpoint? You had, to, you looked into our, the guts of our operation today. Are we doing okay? I get to see those numbers on Friday. Ah, so okay. I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. It'll be four yeah. whole books. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> William, bringing William up here. <laughs> Somebody on Twitch said, Tom, go ahead and block yourself. <laughs> right, exactly. Good, just go ahead. Hi, William. Congratulations on the book. That's awesome. I Thanks. guess I kind of have a meta question. What is it like to... Uh, write a book as a father-daughter team. I think yeah. that's really good. Yeah, a lot of people ask us stuff like that, and I appreciate the question. I'll let Pauline answer first. Um, It was interesting. I mean, it's my first book, so it's exciting to just move through this process and learn just through just promoting it and writing it and everything that a book entails. So that's it's been an education of sorts. But I, I would say it was challenging. I think I, I said on the Heather Dubrow podcast, like I would call my dad every six weeks, worried that our relationship was only a working relationship. Right, that it was going to somehow be... What, what would you, how did you imagine that? Even, what would that look like? Well, because, like? It, like, you know, we would have these huge meetings and then, like, hop off the call and then I'd realize I hadn't talked to my dad in three weeks. And I, I see. Was like, okay, all right. So that. it was like a little bit of a head trip uh, navigating that space. But I think through the process of writing this book, it has strengthened our relationship. I completely agree. Um, and especially, I think this book, um, we create a framework 
that you can use with any relationship. So the central idea is trust, compassion, and boundaries, TCB. And I think- well, Tell the TCB story. So when I was in the third grade, I became obsessed with Elvis Presley. And I started reading books about him, watching documentaries, everything that I could. And I found out about his rhythm section, uh, otherwise known as the Memphis Mafia, which was like his pack of friends. And they were all gifted TCB necklaces with a lightning bolt. And so I immediately was like, mom, I need this for Christmas. <laughs> um, and I wore that necklace for 10 years. I prayed to Elvis before, I mean, before ice skating competitions and also just before tests and interviews and things that are important to me. Um, and so TCB taking care of business was, you know, it's my first tattoo. It's, you know, it's a mantra that I've been living with for a long time. And so to repurpose it for this book and give it even more meaning was really meaningful for me. So in, in the framework of the book, TCB is trust, compassion, and boundaries. The idea being if one of those elements is out of whack, then you can't consent or you're not relating to someone in a healthy fashion. So through TCB, I think that we are able to communicate with each other uh, a little bit more readily. And I think when it comes to like the process, it was just me being very verbal about my boundaries in a way that I never had before. Well, and we learned about each other, right? I learned about all the stuff you knew so much about and about all your, you know, your skills and things, which was just awesome to see in operationalized. And, um, and you learned about my bullshit. <laughs> some of my stuff from the past. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is good. I mean, I, it's not stuff I, I hid in any way. It just you'd never really sat and thought about it. Probably. I don't. I think the difference is I never really listened. Ah, hmm. Like I heard it, mm. but I didn't digest it. Interesting. And but to be fair, before you're an adult, it's hard to digest stuff like that anyway. So yeah, I thought it was a, it's been a very very positive experience. Mm. Nicole so. says, "Hey, it's my spirit white girl." <laughs> <laughs> What does that mean? I don't know, but I like it. She's so Miss Dunn says like something it. very important is that adults need to learn about boundaries too. And, and yet boundaries is sort of one of the most, it's a very complicated topic. It's talked about all the time, but it's not talked about in a way that I think is meaningful. Uh, and we're really just trying to get it over. You know, the book is designed as a, as something to easy to digest if you were 15. Mm -hmm. So it's not meant for a neuroscientist. It's not meant for a psychiatrist, you know, not meant for a social worker. It's meant for kids or you're trying to get them on board. And so the concept of boundaries, we, we derive from physical boundaries, emotional boundaries, identity boundaries, mm -hmm. but boundaries go deep and deep and deep and deep and deep uh, to the point where just two bodies in space can affect each other without us being aware of it. And if you don't have boundaries or you don't can't listen to your feelings because of trauma or something else or depression or whatever, anxiety, whatever, whatever it might be, ADD even, if you can't hear things, boundaries get blurry and, and people's feelings get mixed up. People become responsible for each other's feelings. People become affected by each other's feelings. And I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't never be affected by each other's feelings, but we shouldn't be overtaken by each other's feelings. And so we try to, you know, make this topic something. And you're right, Ms. Don, that, that um, adults have lots of problems with this. But teenagers need to kind of be exposed to the ideas so they can start to pay attention to it. How about that? Sound right? Yeah, sounds right to me. Okay, let's get to Corey. Hey, Corey. Hey, I have a, a medical question. Yeah, man. Uh, so right now I'm being treated for uh, chronic kidney disease and uh, heart failure. Uh, and what is believed is that the heart failure is 
because of prolonged high blood pressure. My uh-huh. Uh-huh. How old are you? I'm 36. Do you know what your ejection fraction is? I don't know what my ejection fraction is um, currently. Mm-hmm. I knew before, I think, I want to say she said it was maybe 35%. Yeah, I, that's what I would guess. That's about what it sounds like. Okay. And is the yeah. kidney problem also hypertensive heart disease, uh, vascular disease, or is it the CHF that's causing the kidney problems, or both? It's believed that it's because of the high blood pressure. Okay. Um, what they, they believe it. Um, okay. Because the, the belief is if I can get the blood pressure under control, that it would probably take care of the CHF, which has been working out well when my blood pressure is under control. I don't get short of breath. Good. Uh, I don't have to take my Lasix as much. Good. Um, so that's a good thing. Yeah. But my concern is, and I feel like I had been focusing more on my heart than I had my kidneys. Because when I saw the nephrologist about a couple of weeks ago, it'd been a week, a year since I'd seen them. Oh, okay. Yeah, which which is a huge problem. Yeah, that last is a huge year, problem. My, I agree with you. Last year, my creatinine was at a, I think they said it was a 2.5. Okay, and, and now? Creatinine is at 5.5. Oh, that's not good. Are you on any medic, you, you're on, are you on Entresto or something? I, I can list the medications. Yeah, let's go. Them. Go ahead. I am on hydrolazine, uh-huh. carvedilol, uh-huh. Was the last one captopril? I'm sorry. Captopril, did you say? Uh, car- carvedilol. Carvedil. Sen- Keep going. And, and lodipine. Mm-hmm. So and just- they gave me a, a uh, the the vitamin D. Okay. Uh, so hydrolazine, uh, carvedilol. Amlodipine and Lasix, only four medications, right? Uh, yes, various times a day. Okay. They didn't put you on Vasotec or any of those sorts of ACE inhibitors? No. Should I be asking about that? I I, I have mixed feelings about it. It can, it can make the kidney look worse, but mm-hmm. it can kind of help. Uh, so I'm surprised they don't have you on an ACE inhibitor. That That's the one thing. Um, somebody's asking on the thread, what the heck is ejection fraction? It's the percentage of blood pushed forward every time your heart beats. And it, that number should be 60%. 35% means the heart is failing. 20% are blows when we really get worried about it. In in um, Corey's case, you know, if you get the blood pressure under control, a lot of stuff could get better. A lot of stuff. It's just the question, how much damage did you do to the muscle and then to the glomeruli in the kidney? And so what are they telling you? Are they telling you dialysis is coming or are they telling you you should be fine? So he hasn't he hasn't ruled out dialysis, but he has not uh, confirmed that that's the case. So okay. the next is to put me on a uh, 24-hour urine monitoring. Yes, good. Because that because good. I'm I'm a larger I'm a larger person. I'm I'm at I'm I've gotten my weight down. I'm down to 280. I'm 6'3". Okay. Uh, that because I'm a larger person Maybe that could be some of the reason why my creatinine might be high. So he wants to look at it, and he's going. We're going to do that uh, October fourth. I think Great. is when he's going to be coming in. You need more aggressive follow up, right? People need to be mm-hmm. on top of you more. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You need to see doctors more frequently. Like you should be seeing somebody every four to six weeks for a while until they really get this thing nailed. Yeah. Are you Are you diabetic also? No, I'm not diabetic. Okay. All right, good. So did you have a specific question for me? 
I do. So my concern is uh, with the kidney failure. Mm. I am concerned about dialysis. I know what it is. I yeah. don't know what the, what the process is, and I'm I'm afraid of it. Okay. My concern is: is there a chance that my kidney my creatinine could get lower and my kidney function could get better? The answer or, is okay. I, I I can't predict that accurately. The answer is it's possible, but I'm I'm a little worried about that they've not been watching you carefully and it's gone up over the last year or so. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm worried. That's all. And, and hypertensive kidney disease is, is tough. It's a tough one. And, and let's just, let me just tell you about dialysis. Dialysis, they will do something called a shunt, which is they make a connection between an artery and a vein. So the vein swells up full of essentially arterial blood. And they mm -hmm. use that as a way of plugging into the dialysis machine which, depending on how much you, kidney function you have, may be a couple of hours once or twice a week where you just lie down. It tends to make people very sleepy when they're on dialysis, so they tend to just go to sleep for a couple hours, and, mm. and that's it. And the machine just does the kidney function for you, and you go about your business. It's, okay. it's really pretty, it's pretty slick. It's pretty cool. And, you know, there's dialysis centers, and there's millions of people on dialysis. You're certainly not alone with this. Okay. Okay? Awesome. Corey, get get. Uh, you, do you have an internist? Just a general doctor. I I have a uh, yeah. I have a a, a general practitioner. All right, Th that person should be seeing you very 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 regularly. Seems to me. Okay. Okay. All right, man. Good luck. Call All me right. if you have. Do feel feel free to. This is what I do, I've done for years and years and years. So if there's any questions, you know, stop on by Clubhouse here. I'll be happy to talk to you. Oh yeah, awesome. No, I used to watch Love Line since I was a kid. So. Crazy man. <laughs> Well this done. Is, this goes along, you know. I'll, I can answer your questions. It, it's you're in a you're in a complicated situation. These are these are complex problems, but not uncommon. Not uncommon. Okay. Oh, awesome. All right, man. Good luck. All right, buddy. I don't normally get really cool straight medical problems like that, but that's uh, yeah. those are really super. You'd be so shocked how common those problems are. I mean, it's oh. it sounds like people. What's an injection fraction? What do you mean? Is creatinine five? Blah, blah, blah. It's such so common stuff. Um, Kimberly's saying called Devita Dialysis Center to talk about it. Is that Kimberly? Some is that you a nurse there or something? Uh, let's see. Let me see what else you guys have said while I was talking to Corey here. Um, Whenever the medical questions come, I'm just like, yeah, you should just yeah, just step aside. <laughs> um, we normally don't get that many of these. It's today has been sort of an AMA kind of thing. So and I'm I'm still happy to. You still listen to Love Line Daily, Tangerine? Must be the old 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 ones. Uh, Christopher, what's going on there? Hey guys, uh, I had a question about the book before, uh, Corey, you were talking about boundaries. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, um, from Paulina, uh, on the, the bio on the book website says that you write a lot about female sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm wondering what the boundaries were like between you guys as uh, parent and uh, daughter about like boundaries around sexuality and stuff when yeah. you were younger, a yeah. teenager, and kind of how um, how that affected your relationship and how uh, Dr. Drew having his show kind of changed the way that you guys approached that. Yeah, good question. Good question. Great question. Yeah. So there's one boundary in that this book isn't um, full of my experiences sexually. I do nonfiction creative writing. I do write pieces that are from the first person's perspective about sexuality. Um, but this book is not that. But then I rewind back and I'm like, okay, what was it like growing up with my sexuality? And I tell this story over and over, but my mom, 
on the way to ice skating practice in the third grade, uh, told me, if you lose your virginity, your father's going to broadcast it on the radio. And so that instilled the fear of God in me. Uh, and that being said, though that fear was in my head and I now as an adult can see that that was never going to happen. And she was trying to communicate that there were extra pressures on me and that people were watching. And if I made a misstep, uh, people would notice and very much felt that, uh, when I wrote my first piece, which uh, was about my bulimia and coming to terms with that. Um, however, I, as a little girl, always had boyfriends always. And I really appreciate that my parents never tried to make me feel weird or shameful about that. They were very much kind of just like, let her do her thing. You know, like she writes in her diary about (laughs) the list of crushes that she has. Um, and so I started dating around like the eighth grade. Um, but there were very, strict rules around that. Like my first date ever, my brothers were there also in the movie theater throwing popcorn at me. Um, and so there were always parameters around what I could do. Um, and then when I got into high school, I had a very serious boyfriend. He was like very much like came part of the family. Um, but when it comes to writing this book, I think we, you know, I was able to share experiences, but I think there comes a line between, you know, what I do as like my writing craft and then what this book is. You you also had talked about how talking about sexuality was you didn't want to get that information from me because you figured everybody else. got. Oh, it. yeah. I had no interest. <laughs> everybody yeah. was already hearing it from him. And I was like, la, 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 la. Mm-hmm. Um, but also my school had a, a, a comprehensive sex education program starting in the third grade. Did you feel good about that program? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, I feel like, you know, they both handled the mechanics of things and then they had other things that dealt with sort of the interpersonal Mm -hmm. aspects like freshman year of high school. We had like human development and that was very much like talking about sort of the interpersonal aspects of relationships. And then when I was a senior, we had like um, some sort of like I don't remember what it was called. But it was a like a sort of study group that we met every Thursday and talked about our lives. And um, so I didn't feel like there was a gap in terms of my sex education. In retrospect, I wish that I had felt more comfortable, um, you know, asking questions. And I did inevitably ask questions. But um, I think I felt a lot of pressure because I felt like people were watching. Hmm. Interesting. So there it is. Hope that answered your question. And let's uh, get Josh up here. Uh, Josh, go ahead. Hey there. Um, first of all, just congratulations, um, on the book. Uh, I follow what you do and I know that you wrote a book on narcissism, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically celebrity narcissism. Um, and I wanted to know if narcissism, narcissism fits into this book, um, because I know there's two kinds, you know, I know that there's a a normal narcissism, which is really just a part of a healthy um, personality. And I know when narcissism can get out of control, it can be difficult to set boundaries, to connect in a meaningful way uh, to someone else, because you're really just caught up in your own self. You're, you're narcissistic, and it's it's difficult to know what 
someone else may need or what they don't need and what they find to be inappropriate. So I was just wondering if you could sort of talk about that. All right. So, so you're conflating a lot of different things there. So let's sort of go through all the topics. There's primary narcissism, which it's just how everybody is born. There is healthy narcissism, which is associated with self-efficacy and coming to your own self-defense and sort of concerning with, be concerned about yourself when it's appropriate, but not burdened with the liability of narcissistic traits, which are the result of trauma, which result in empathic failure and um, inability to read emotions. Emotions become distant and less meaningful to the narcissist. So really the liability is not about being tied up with yourself. It's about emotions not being meaningful the, the, it, and it's in particularly cir certain circumstances when you're threatened when you're stressed narcissists lose track of feelings entirely more so your feelings they don't care about as well as their own so they don't care about feelings feelings beg whenever i hear there's some psychologists out there talking about how emotions are no big deal they don't really know oh, this is the mirror effect uh, they don't really matter. They're nothing. We shouldn't really, we shouldn't pay attention to emotions. I just think narcissist. There you go. That's it. And the big liability is if you don't appreciate your own emotions, how can you appreciate somebody else's? That's really it. And in the in the setting of emotions don't matter, be, we necessarily result in empathic failure. So that's and now we're talking about narcissistic personality disorder, which is a fourth category. And um, yeah, the, that book was not about narcissistic personality disorder per se, so much as the the general trend of narcissistic traits that swept into this country at that time, particularly because of all the childhood trauma. The childhood trauma has been out of control since the 60s. And um, we necessarily had this turn. Now, are you seeing, uh, I don't know if you're thinking about this kind of stuff, but do you see um, kind of the personality style of the country changing a little bit? Are you aware of anything like that happening? Uh, I'm interested in the way in which social media influencers are going to become this is maybe a controversial thing. Ooh, Here we go. Say, say it right into the mic. <laughs> I'm worried that social media influencers are going to become a new personality disorder in the way that they perform for the well, camera. Well, but maybe that already is a personality disorder, right? Maybe it's, or maybe it attracts people yes. to well, personality disorder. <laughs> I agree. Well, I was watching. Caleb agrees. <laughs> yes. So, so, Please study that more. So, so, so Caleb is a recovering YouTube star. And uh, what, what do you, when she says that, what do you think, Caleb? Is he there? Uh, I I I know way too many. I know too many people who have their families have been destroyed because they've been like family vloggers. And it's it's not so much that it's like every family vlogger things go wrong. It's just something that it it's it's happened way too many times, and it got really scary. Like we were actually family vloggers for a bit, and it just it was. Uh, sorry, I'm running too many controls here. Uh, <laughs> we decided that we were. Did we want to actually like do this, or are we doing things for our are we like going out and going to places because we wanted to and because we want to hang out with each other or are we doing it for the camera? Yeah. You know, and uh, that that's where we had to start deciding. Sorry, there's way too many controls happening here. Okay, sorry, but I see <laughs> you. See, yeah, you see it, 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 when I saw the pattern with with a lot of friends of, uh, so, that so I had So let's talk about what that is. Though. So it's like a stuff, reality like show. Very yeah. healthy. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's, a, yeah. I, I would, wouldn't but except call... you're, you're, you are your manager, you're your agent, you're mm -hmm. your publicist and you're your business. You do all the stuff yourself. And so then your family becomes part of a product and I, it just didn't, for some people it works, but for us, it just, it, That's we, interesting. it didn't seem very healthy for so, a long so time. I, yeah. I don't, I, I see those more as the a boundary problem than, than as a new personality. I don't know. I was watching a TikTok of this young lady 
who has millions of followers. And she was just, she was in the car and like things were going wrong. And like every time she said something, she's like, you know, and I'm like, (laughs) that's an internet thing regurgitated over and over and over again. So much so that you're performing kind of meme reactions in real time. It just, it weirds me out. I'm still not quite sure what it is. It, it, Cause a personality disorder is a really specific thing. It, 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 it might be changing the personas. In other words, how people present themselves, the style of presentation, but a personality disorder is, is a, is a, a, a pattern of behavior and relating that is very disturbed. I will say there's sort of a homogenization in terms of aesthetic and persona that is happening. That like makes sense to me. Flit through social media and you'll see like 16 of the same person. Now, are you sure that's not social media sending you the same thing? You know what I mean? You never know what's being sent to you versus what's yeah. actually out there. Yeah. That's what's wild. Deesh. Uh, Wish Chris has, has been, I guess, on the family vlogs. Uh, not just in wrapping toys with their kids over and over every day. They're in these giant houses. Yeah, it's all the it's the it's the Kardashians on digital, right? Isn't that kind of what they're doing? I don't know. The new American dream. That's interesting. Hmm. I I totally think that the social media influencer trajectory is the new rags to riches narrative. It's well, the Kardashian model commodified and made personal in a certain way, and it's all sort of. I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on social media influencers. Yeah. Uh, well, and it removes all of the boundaries as well. Yeah. So then people, they think that they, they own all of your experiences as a person mm. when it's like, if you're going to Disneyland with, you know, your girlfriend or it's like, you know, your, your wife and it's, they expect content from you. You can't just go and do something on your own. It's they, you're, you're owned by them. And I mean, it's not, it's not like it's, it's, it's not like it's something that they're doing that's bad. They're not intending it, but it's, they don't understand that you're a real person. Yeah. They think that because like they're watching your videos and their subscribers that it, they, they know everything about you. And that's where it got to be very weird when you would like, I would go to like internet conventions and stuff and people would walk up and they would know everything about me. They knew what I ate yesterday. They knew all my friends, all my family. I knew nothing about them at all. And it got to be really scary because that's not what they were intending, but it comes across in a way of, Wow, are these stalkers? Oh no, wait! I put all that stuff online myself. Right, this is all my fault. Right, I started it. And you're you're you, know? you are pointing out something very interesting, which is this phenomenon that is generally true in media, or at least the way people relate to media these days, is they the fans and the and the the what would you call the opposite of fans the practitioners? No, no, the opposite of fans the like, haters. Haters, the haters both claim ownership. Of the person, uh, like like proprietary ownership that like it's their you are their product, and they I've noticed this for a long time. They treat that person, the, the person in the media, like a cartoon character, mm-hmm. uh, like like you're really not a human being. You're some sort of drawing of a human being. That's literally the way they treat them. And I noticed this this I, something that occurred to me years ago when I had Steve-O on Loveline a long time ago. And for a minute, we thought he had a he had a heart disease like Corey. He, we thought for a second he did, uh, and a doctor literally that day was talking to him about heart transplants and things. And I was like, "Wait a minute!" But so he came on the show to tell the story, and every single caller 
would call in and go, hey, Steve, sorry about your heart. Anyway, I got this thing. And like, like literally like no, like it wasn't registering. I thought, oh my God, Steve-O might have a fatal heart problem and they they can't even get their head around that. Yeah. They can't, they can't, they can't, he, it's impossible, right? He's just gonna live forever. He's a cartoon character, who cares? And and the more cartoony the person Think was- Think about Trisha. Yeah. Well, that's who I was gonna bring up next. Trisha Paytas. Yeah, she was who I was gonna bring up next. And, and that's been my latest experience with this. What I find fascinating about Trisha is that she's getting better. There's something that happens in, in addiction treatment. When, when somebody starts getting better, the family attacks the person. Mm. This happens every time. And I, I sort of think of it as these people have had a lot of pent up pain caused by the family member for a long time. And now that person is awake and feeling things. Yeah. So now you're going to hear from me. Now you got to hear it. And it's the exact wrong time to do it. It's the worst thing in the world. I have to like literally stand in front of the, the patient and get them to take that material elsewhere. But I, but I feel like that's what they're doing with Trisha, that she's starting to improve and get better and her personality stuff is getting better. That's when they lay, that's when they lay it to her. And she was, I don't know if you saw the, that one of the recent uh, videos, uh, Caleb, but she was talking about how it's it's landing. Like it's, she's feeling it in her, mm. it's, and it's horrible. And I, and I thought, oh, and they're and they're doing more. They're doing even more because it's it's now she feels it. Did you see that, Caleb? And look, Trisha, she's she's done things like she said stuff before that's offensive. She's done stuff that's offensive, and but the, what they're ignoring is that she's actually addressed all of that. She's actually trying right. to change now, right. and it's almost like that made them even angrier. Right, and they feel justified. Mm. Yeah, they go no. in there. You watch anything, anything she's talking about about self improvement, yeah. trying to make herself better, yeah. trying to be a better person. It's like they don't even watch any of that. It's just literally thousands and thousands of comments telling her basically to go and kill herself, which, but these are the same people that they, they feel like they are open-minded people. They feel like that they are supportive of people that are like mental health crisis. Right. Like they That's support so crazy people's mental health me. journey, except for her. She's the <laughs> yeah. one exception. Well, they believe me, they attack other people too. And, yeah. and that to me is so nuts that people do that, especially when somebody's getting better. And by the way, when here's the thing. She also, when she was on the show, it's, she what? Well, when she was on the show, I had mentioned by mistake, I had said something about Britney Spears and compared her to that when the comparison I should have made was Amanda Bynes. Yeah. Back when Amanda Bynes was having, you know, going through a lot of the, the struggles that she was going oh, through. No, and I got caught up in that too. That was serious mental illness. We that all was thought she was faking it. Oh, like, I no, thought no, it was, no, 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 no. That was serious mental illness. Really serious. We thought she was... And once I realized that it wasn't, I yeah. was like, I have to delete everything I've said. She wasn't joking. Like, this is a serious thing, and she actually needed help. And then I felt bad. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people just felt like they had no problem at all with attacking her because she's famous and yep. because she's far away from them. When if that was someone that they knew, they would have felt so guilty. Hey, Saint, yep. look at uh, Anna Nicole Smith. I was oh. I was trying to get in the way of that. I'm saying, you're yep. watching somebody die, and you're making fun of her. She is dying in front of our eyes, and yep. boom, and then dead. And, and so... Um, back to, to Trisha, you know, she lately, it's almost, it's a case against apologizing if you're a public figure, frankly, because, mm. because that's what she's doing. She's going, I'm looking at my old behavior. It's disgusting. I never should have done that. I feel terrible about it now. I'm going to try to make amends. That's when they just lean into her. It's like, okay. All right, everybody. I mean, I don't know. I think there needs to be a larger conversation about transformative justice in the culture. Talk about it. Um, I mean, I'm just starting to wade my way into that pool. But essentially, um, it's the idea that rather than villainizing someone or canceling them or, you know, 
disrupting their entire lives. That's that book you showed me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a book that I'm about to start by Adrian Marie Brown called We Will Not Cancel Us. So I'll be able to tell you a lot more after I read it. Uh, But the idea about transformative justice is that rather than, you know, canceling somebody, you offer them restitution and rehabilitation, um, which is a much more stable model for long-term longevity. Um, But there's just this this phenomena of just, I can see why people attack people with power, right? Like that person has money, that person has fame, that person has objects. Uh, you know, I, to me that does, I, I have to tell you. If you feel powerless, if you're sitting at home and you're unemployed for, you know, the duration of the pandemic and you see somebody on there and they're an easy target, like it's not coming from a good place. No, that's the point. We, I mean, in, in this country in years past, people would be admire people that had accomplished stuff and, and it'd be like, Hey, you tell your kids, like, Hey, you could be like, do it, be like him, go do it. You know, now it's screw that guy. We got to knock him down. It's a difference. It's a very, it's well, that's envy and envy is an unfortunate part of narcissism. Uh, and so envy, you know, in, in all the, in all the religious texts, the thing they warn against most is envy. Hmm because it's such a destructive emotion. It's the most destructive human emotion. So it's one thing to be resentful. I get that. If you resent that I can't do this and they can't do that, I feel that, that that I have no problem with. But when it's envy, meaning I have to knock that person down, I have to aggress on that person, that's not, that's what we're talking about here. That's yeah. what's happening to Trisha. That's what happened to, you know, all, all these people we're discussing. Yeah. It's hard. It's heavy pile stuff. on. It's like, can't people see? It's like when someone wants to try and change, it's don't pile on and make things worse and worse when someone's like crying her eyes out on video. It's like, oh, well, in the past, it's like, yeah, maybe she may have faked things before, but let people grow and change. Don't fight them when they're trying to hey, change have, to your I side have, and they're trying to get better. I have yeah. treated people who, who literally killed people in their disease or whatever they were in. And I have had to stay supportive and non-judgmental of those people. But... But they have to stop bullshitting and they must take the, 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 whatever the consequences are of their behavior. They mm. have to accept it with peace and love. And if they can't do that, um, then I don't have much patience for them. Because the reality is you should have done something a long time ago. You didn't. That's on you. Mm. Um, so uh, we also have this Gabby Petito story, right, where the, the Brian Laundry is that his name? You know, I, I, do you have any thoughts about that? I, so I saw it pop up on TikTok, like before it was a national story. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of watched the sort of internet sleuth trajectory, which was super interesting. And it reminded me of a show I just watched. Oh man. It was on Netflix. About? About this girl whose brother is on a YouTube video and he's saying like, I killed a woman Mm. at 5 million views. I will die. Mm. And it was the proliferate. It was like, I don't remember what it was called. Anyway, we get the story. Okay. So anyway, clickbait. Oh my God. It was crazy. (laughs) But that's exactly what it reminds me of. Um, in terms of just the way in which people were catalyzed into action and the way in which, you know, it could be both helpful and destructive. I don't actually, I know that they found her remains. I don't know what happened with Brian Laundrie though. He's still on the lamb. He's on the run. Ooh. So one thing I, I see it a little differently than a lot of people do. Um, people seem to want to see this as 
domestic violence and a cult of two, which it was, it for sure was. Um, but there was many overlays here. This, this, hey man, we're living van life for two years. They were homeless. They were homeless, and so uh, and and drifting with, without work, without purpose. Who was funding that? Why why were they allowed to do that with this kid, the male, who, if you look at his videos across time, and I don't know these people, I'm just looking at the videos. He starts getting scabs on his face. That that's a that's a telltale sign of meth, and meth is the drug of violence. Period. End. Mm. And so I I think when the day is done, this is going to be a meth story. I also think there's a high probability that this kid will kill himself. And that's that scares me too. So, so you you're not down with me buying a van. I'm not down with. Well, you could do it for a few months. I'm all. I'm down for that. I'm, I think that's awesome. Because I'm thinking but, about it. Well, for a few months, I have no problem with it. But but to be doing it for years is that how long they were doing it? Since 2019. Oh really? Yeah. There's a there's an Instagram. Well, there's actually, they had some periods where they were back, but there was you know. There's an amazing book named nomad land which was made into a book and that talks about sort of the ways in which people are kind of forced to the road and usually yeah, but older they had people. family they had lots of family and they had they had resources and the family didn't do anything it seems like i mm. I, I don't want to lay blame anywhere but this is a whole horrible tragedy but like this was this was more let's put it this way much more of a mental health story than it appears yeah much, much i believe much that more. i believe that we're gonna take a little break we'll be right back and we're gonna look at your stream and make your comments and uh be with you in a second here with my daughter, Paulina, to share an exciting new project. Over the years, we've talked to a ton of young people about what they really want to know about relationships. It's difficult to know who you are and what you want, especially mm. as a teenager. And not everyone has access to an expert in their house like I did. Of course, it wasn't like I was always that receptive to that advice. Right. No kidding. But now we have written the book on consent. It is called It Doesn't Have to Be Awkward, and it explores relationships, romantic relationships, and sex. It's a great guide for teens, parents, and educators to go beyond the talk and have honest and meaningful conversations. It Doesn't Have to Be Awkward will be on sale September 21st. You can order your book anywhere books are sold. Mm -hmm. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, and of course, your independent local bookstore. Links are available on drdrew.com. So pre-ordering the book will help people, well, raise awareness, obviously, and it'll get that conversation going early so more people can can notice this and spread the word of positivity about healthy relationships. So if you can, we would love your support by pre-ordering now. Totally. And as we said before, this is a book that both teenagers and their parents should read. Read the book, have the conversation. It doesn't have to be awkward. On sale, September 21st. And we are back. We lost our music there for a second. That is Paulina Pinsky. We have a new book. It is called Doesn't That Be Awkward? Um, somebody on the restream, I forget who it was, was just saying that um, they're afraid for their four-year-old. This this y y y this is written for parents to sort of read with their teens. That the, the idea here is to make this digestible for a 15-year-old. It's written for 12 to 20-year-olds. It's for parents to help them understand what kids need to navigate this kind of stuff. It's not It's not a parenting book per se, not by any means. Um, okay. Um, a lot of talk, a lot, everyone has opinions about, uh, Gabby Petito, but you know, shocking, I, I, you know, they're saying that they were going to do this program and they were going to be organic farmers stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he wanted to be an astronaut too. It, it, it you got to understand, look at people's actions and this is really, there's some very disturbing stuff in there that uh, just sort of went on too long. And that's what, that's how things unravel. That's how things get bad. Um, uh, Ask me questions. Yeah, let's get into I've it. I've been here let's... so long listening to all these questions, and not many of them are for me. Okay, let's talk to Annabella. <laughs> Annabella, what's going on? 
if we can get her up here. Again, my phone is always wonky with this. I apologize. There's a little delay. Well, it's it's either my phone doesn't uh, doesn't notify them or they don't know what they're being notified about or how to how to manage the notifications. So <coughs> um, the hard part for me is I can't undo it once I've I've made the request. Well, maybe just do the next one too. Yeah, I will. That's what I'm going to do. But but then we could have two people up there. That's okay. All right, Ethan. See if we can get you up there. Hmm. And be sure to, I see your phone's on um, mute, too, so you want to make sure you undo that, too. Famous guy found rocks at the bottom of the canyon the other day. I don't know what that means. Sounds like a poem. Uh, Catherine says something rather profound. I've wasted a lot of years in delusion. It depresses me. How do I get over the wasted years? Please tell us more. Come on, Clubhouse, and uh, help us understand what that was. Uh, you can always move forward. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, people have done extraordinary things, turning things around much, much often later in life. So I can't see this is, <laughs> I can't do this. I'm going to try to get Kristen up here. All right, Kristen, have at it. Hello, hello. I figured you'd rescue me. And, yeah, hello. you'd give Paulina a question. So go ahead. Paulina, I have a question for you. There you go. Um, it has to do with, um, kids and parties and sleepovers. So my eldest child is of an age where all of a sudden she's starting to get invited to sleepovers. Now I've listened to far too many true crime podcasts. And so I'm always very hesitant about, you know, letting my daughter, you know, spend nights at people's houses. If it's people I've known since she was in kindergarten, fine, no problem, especially like if I have a really good friendly relationship with the parents, but recently she's been getting more invites for places that are like in 45 minutes, an hour away where I really don't know the kid and I really don't know the parents. And so I had to tell her on a couple of occasions, no, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this, honey. I'm sorry. I don't know these people. And, you know, if I was friends with their parents, it would be one thing, but if I don't know the parents, it it's just if you want to go to the party for a little while, that's fine. But Kristen, I'm Kristen, not okay with spending the let, night. Let's get, yes. let's get it down to a question. Is the question? Oh, okay. Like, how well should I know where my kids are going at a, at a certain oh. age, or what? What exactly is the question? The the precise question would be: Do you think it's reasonable for a parent whose kid is getting invited to sleepover parties to you know? be a little bit more skeptical about whether, whether they allow permission or not for them to go. And how old is she? 10. Hmm. I think it's totally fair to be trepidatious and want to know their parents. Um, you know, I think, I don't know. I listen to a lot of true crime too. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I think, I think it's important for a parent to be clued in to where they're sending their children, right? Not just like being like, okay, you got an invitation, go. So I think being more cautious and wanting to facilitate a, a relationship with the parents whose house your child is going to go to isn't a bad thing. Susan, how would you advise Chris? Because we were. You said that so much more eloquently than I was able oh, to. Thank you. I know. Right. Now I have to follow it. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, send her to the house. <laughs> Um, well, you have to, 
weigh out like what the relationship is with the, you know, what your daughter's relationship is and make sure you don't, you're not too tough on him, you know, but also, um, you know, discuss it with her and say, well, how do you feel about this? You know, how well do you know them? What do you think, you know, will happen? Helena wasn't really good at going to other people's houses. So I got really lucky with that. I wasn't. I would cry (laughs) in the middle of the night and make them come pick me up. Yeah. I I did that too. And you know what? Here's the other thing. It's like, I'm not going to come out 45 minutes and pick you up. So you got to make sure you're not going to freak out when you get there. I remember, I remember I those conversations. Oh, I, I have to go. There's no way. I am not going to, you're not going to hear from me. Fast forward three hours. <laughs> drive back. But I mean, I understand. I had a friend who's, who never let her kids take, do sleepovers ever, Yeah. but she was also molested as a child. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, you know, you have to really strongly go with your gut and that's all I can say. Yeah. I, I think you have to know everybody well. I mean, with time, I across agree. time. And who's there? And like, are there 18 year old boys hanging around? Are there, right. you know, who's yeah. going to be there? And what's the, and who lives next door? And, and trust me, this is going to get more and more challenging as you get towards 15, 16, yeah. 17. But I also think oh, talking super. to your kid about it is important. Like my mom was saying, like really assess, like, is this a person, a new friend? Like, do you think that you could do a little more daytime things to get to know them better first, you know, sort of making it a conversation with your child rather than making a penultimate decision. He meeting halfway somewhere. Yeah. It's a lot of work. You're welcome. How old is your daughter? Like 10. 10. Yeah. She's, yeah. I have memories of, uh, crying. (laughs) (laughs) One time waking up in a childhood friend of mine who has, you know, their house, you know, the movie Monster in Law with Jane Fonda and the marriage scene, that's their house. That was filmed in that house. In that house. It's a big house. So I woke up screaming, crying down the halls, up and down, just like, <laughs> and then I eventually went into the bed with the mom and she's like, it's okay. <laughs> she crawled That sounds bed. like a better movie. I know. <laughs> she called me. She goes, oh, Paulina was sleeping right in, next to me all night. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so Way better funny. movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was a baby. I was. Did you go all the way down that crazy spiral staircase? No, but I was, was on top of the spiral staircase. <laughs> like at one point, I'm pretty sure I was banging on their door. Uh. But it must be weird, like if you're a triplet, because you've always had your siblings around and, you know, it's kind of like all of a sudden you're in a room that you it's, don't It know. could be that house too. It's that pretty, house is massive. It's a little yeah. spooky. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful home. Yeah. <laughs> if you're Excellent not if you're not seven size. or eight or nine or whatever. So yeah. <laughs> All right, Kristen. Thanks. Thank you guys so much. Right, and congratulations on the book. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Let's see if we can find Ethan now. Ethan's still there and now not there. Ooh, so I can hmm. You scared no. him. Yeah. His question wasn't for me, so he ran away. Oh, wait, he's, look, oh, he's coming. He's coming. Oh, Ethan can't join us right now. Okay, okay that's okay, Ethan. Absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Tips for meeting new people and socialize while wearing a mask. Mm. Mm, how about that, Paulina? Ooh, this is a question I haven't been asked Are they before. Are they in Brooklyn? Are they having places you can go and get have a test and a vaccine, blah, 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 blah and they take your mask off? Well, you happen? have to show your vaccination card at the door. That's about to happen in Los Angeles, too. Yeah, and it's a good, it's a good you know, litmus test. It's like, if you've been vaccinated, you can come in. And, or your COVID um, test. But then you said, but in, in this state, you have to keep your masks on anyway. Oh, really? Is that not the way no, it is? No, it's not the same in yeah. Brooklyn. Um, 
Everybody's I, walking around outside in Pasadena with their masks on. It's outside. Just so outside. weird. Outside. Yeah, I, New I just York tweeted. is not like that at all right now. I know. It's been good. I, I was had just, to drop some mail off and I forgot my mask and I, I was like, I felt nude. Ugh. Like everybody knew I was naked, you know. <laughs> it is like a weird vulnerability not wearing a mask. But, you know, uh, I... The, Socializing. I'm going to answer the question yeah, about socializing. Sorry. My, um, my favorite opening line when it comes to people wearing masks is, oh, I love your mask. Where did you get it? What, um, what if it's just a blue surgical mask? <laughs> what do you do then? Then it could be a funny joke. Okay. Um, okay. Fair enough. I like so that. So I think um, for me, what has been easiest is just like making observational comments that are compliments. Um, I think that's an easy way to win someone to your favor. Um, and then to like, you know, just being understanding that while wearing masks, there's going to be some maybe translation issues and communication and, and issues. You can't hear anything. I can't understand what people are saying. Yeah, it's hard not it to hear so when you hear people's lips. It was so hard in France trying to speak French yeah. through the damn mask. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. I, I would say, like, I just, I swear by the mask opening line. And I, majority of people have cool masks now. Yeah, it's true. That's sort of a thing. I was... Uh, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but I was trying to get, we were trying to get in the Louvre and we didn't have our tickets and blah, blah, blah. And I, I was outside, I'd have a mask on and the, and the gate people, the sort of security guards who were checking the vaccine cards had masks. And I walked up to the guy, I go, look, I can't find this. I'm saying this all in French. He goes, gardez votre masque. I was like, oh, oh right, right. I'm right next to you and I don't have a mask on. <laughs> gardez la masque. And I was like, okay, got it, got it, got it. He was nice, though. I actually, he let he us said, in. I actually think he said something. He said, God, la mask. He said it's something even familiar to me. Yeah, so. we didn't have the right QR code for the QR code for the QR code. Uh, Lesson symptoms instead of preventing them. Uh, Bassachica, I don't know what you're talking about. But masks, the best, there are two double blind, there are two placebo control, you know, randomized control trials on masks. One was in Bangladesh, wasn't it? Something like that. And the other was in Den Denmark. And they were good studies. Uh, they've been criticized, but they were pretty good and they were large scale. Uh, everything else has been anecdotal. Uh, there was a study in Canada a couple of days ago that showed that there were two and a half times less outbreaks in schools that wore masks. That was very powerful data, I thought. In the, in the Danish study, it showed in this randomized controlled uh, trial, a non-zero effect of masks at 9%, a 9% effect. It's not 100%. It's not 80%. It's not 50%. It's somewhere around 20% that masks masks work. Not zero. It's a non-zero effect. But uh, don't pretend masks are going to prevent the illness. That's not how it works. Um, okay, Tanya, let's get her in. Tanya's a social worker, and so she may have a good question. Tanya, Fantastic. hey there. Uh, hi, Pinsky fam. How are you? Hey, we're good. How are you? Mm. I'm good. I'm really good. Um, hey, I'm so excited to get the book. I'm waiting for my signed copy. Yay. So to get you. here any day. Thank you. Um, congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, Drew, I wanted to talk a little bit or just discuss a little bit um, about imposter syndrome. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, Paulina, I know you are successful, educated. You're an author. Maybe you can chime in on this a little bit. But Absolutely. Um, this is something I definitely struggle with. So I just kind of wanted to pick your brains about this. So uh, I, I I don't know that it makes you feel any better, except to say that for me, people that have an imposter effect. Okay. I'm going to sort of build you up with it. <laughs> I, I, I know that if somebody has feel like an imposter, they have expertise. I know it immediately. Yeah. 
it, it's only experts that feel like imposters because yeah. because the, when they study how people learn, whether it's a skill or material, we go from Dunning Kruger, oh I know this, I know everything, to falling into a valley where I know nothing. To where you crawl out of that over a much longer time horizon to actual wisdom, cool. actual expertise. And once you get up in your knowledge base, that's when you start feeling like, I don't know anything. Everyone else knows better than me. I'm an imposter. Hmm. It's, it's actually a symptom of expertise, I'm sorry to tell you. And it's much like, to me, this is my own opinion, like self-esteem. Like people with low self-esteem take responsibility for everything. And they're always checking themselves. And they're always trying to advance. They're, they're always working on themselves because they don't think anything that's out there is responsible. Everything's me because, hey, it's me. I got low self-esteem. I find the imposter syndrome does the same thing. It motivates you. It makes you read the literature. It makes you second guess yourself, which is good. Not second guessing yourself to the point that you don't make a decision. Second guessing yourself to the extent that you, you, you look carefully at your decision making. Okay. Does that sound like you? Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe you can reflect a little bit and talk about about your professional journey. So I have been working on my LCSW for years, okay? Yeah, yeah. I finally yeah. finished my hours. Which Congratulations. Congratulations. Forever, because I'm not necessarily in a clinical position. Yeah. Um, and I'm at that point where I'm like, okay, do I branch out and do something on my own? Or do I, you know, do I continue to do what I do, which I'm great at, but people are like, you're ready. And I'm like, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not ready yet. But I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so that's, a, that, I'm going to say that's a little bit different than imposter. That, that, that is something that clinical people have to deal with. And that as physicians, we deal with it by just throwing you in. Mm. And, and guess what? You know what? You kind of don't know anything when you start swimming in those waters. You're when you go from intern to resident to senior resident. Each time, nothing magical happens. It just is June fifteenth, and now you're now a senior resident making all the decisions. And trust me, you feel like a doe that's just learning how to walk, right? Yeah. You know that feeling, right? And, and but that's what just what everyone experiences. You just have to do it. I would be much more worried about somebody who was supremely confident at that point. They should not be. That's Dunning Kruger, right? They're just getting started. Their decision making will become expertise soon enough. But right. they should be very insecure. And by the way, that's why when people get into these clinical situations, there's an authority structure. There's people watching. There's people you can turn to. There's right. people checking you. You're teaching. You're also teaching other people. And so you're sort of being held accountable with what you're doing because you have to explain it to your underlings. And, and that's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. I've experienced a lot of imposter syndrome in my life. <laughs> uh, most notably, uh, always like the first year of like a new program. So like my first year that's, of undergrad. That's exactly what we're talking you know, about. Yeah. That's exactly it. My whole first year of graduate school, I was like, I'm not a writer. I was on the wait list. I do not deserve this spot. I don't know what to do. And then at a certain point, you kind of get sick of yourself, I think. And that like not believing in yourself is doing yourself a disservice. Ultimately, that's what I find. But there's always that smidge up, up top. You got to take that leap of faith, though. You just got to yeah. get get right. into it and just be careful. That's yeah. all. And somebody's speaking of careful. Somebody's correcting me on, on my vocabulary, which I love. I love my vocabulary being corrected. Uh, a doe is an adult female deer, not a baby deer. What's a baby deer? Right? Fawn. Fawn. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>
Actually, because I'm into languages right now, I, I crave, you know, accuracy in language. I, my, my, I, when we were in France, I would, I would, whenever anybody was like serving, I'd go, you're my French professor today. And, and I'd go, you correct everything I say that's wrong, please. So. I learned a new word today. Tell me. Palinope. It's a uh, poem that hmm. is a correction of a previous poem. I didn't know you could correct poems. I know. Wow. I'm never going to use that word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, uh, Tanya, it's all good. I'm sorry, but these things are uncomfortable, but they're, yeah. they're signs of good things happening. But I also wonder if it's more of like a feminized syndrome. Ooh, you're going to blame it on the, on the, no, on the patriarchy. I mean, yeah, I mean, always. <laughs> always. <laughs> um, no, but I, I know a lot of female identifying people who struggle with imposter syndrome. And I think most of the time as women or femme identifying people were taught to question ourselves a little bit more. Um, and so I would say that it's a radical act not to question yourself and to just go forward and take that leap of faith. Yeah. Take your leap. But, but, but the responsibility of clinician, it, it, I, as someone who taught for many years, I would just tell you, I wanted my clinic, my students to be thinking, rethinking, replanning, backup planning all the time. Consulting. All the yeah. time. All the time. Yeah. And that's, well, thank you, know, you so, so much. That's just an operational thing. So good luck. Congratulations. Thank you this. so much. I yeah, appreciate you do got this. it. And but, I can't wait to read the book, guys. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> All right. So we're up close to the end of things here. Let me see if any. Oh, I think I may have avoidant personality disorder. I'm comfortable in my job. No desire to do more. Actually scared to do anything new. That may not be a. No, no, no. Flora May, that, that's, I wouldn't call that a personality disorder. I would call that. Uh, what do we call that when people what is it? when people settle for less than each? I think what she's saying is she's in her job now and she should want to move forward and do other things, but she feels like I'm afraid to do other things. I'm afraid to scared to do anything new. She's saying that's her more of an anxiety disorder, or depression, or I mean, esteem it's hard feeling you don't deserve. When it. you feel comfortable, it's hard to want to push yourself to an uncomfortable position. But ultimately, growth is always uncomfortable, and so pushing yourself out of your comfort zone will lead to growth that. I think I agree with you wholeheartedly, but what if you just not up for it or you don't feel you deserve it or you don't feel you're, well, you deserve it or you're, yeah. you're in sort of inertia. There's some inertia there. Preventing I think that. figuring out how to support yourself, whether that's family, whether that's friends, whether that's, Ooh, that's a good piece of advice. You know, so say that, say that, uh, make, turn that into a piece of advice. Cause that's good advice. Um, when you feel like you can't take the next step and you need support, reach out. Whether that's a friend, family, therapist, or, or all of the above, all of the above, yeah, that um, is that is very, very, very solid advice. And I don't think in this country people know to do that, you know, and yeah. because we don't put the same value in relationships that uh, other we, countries do. And so. We don't put the value in asking for help. Because, She's saying low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Flora, may I get that? I, I figured that'd be at the bottom of, but the low, low self-esteem can also motivate you, but not on your own that you got to, just like Paulina said, get, but the only caveat I would say, it needs to be people that actually care. Yeah. You have people that care about you. Yeah. All right. I suggest we wrap everything up here. This has been a really interesting conversation. Again, thank you, Paulina, for writing this book with me and for being here to help us promote it. My pleasure. Susan, uh, are you with us still? Are you? Thank you for coming out of my womb. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, somebody's asking, how's Adam Carolla? I do a podcast with him three days a week. You can find it at uh, drdrew.com. We're doing one with him tomorrow. Paulina's going to be on the Adam Carolla show. And Fox 11 tonight. Oh, and Fox 11 tonight. That's right. I got to run out of here and do that. The long um, anticipated moment. I feel like all of the Loveline fans who tweet at me are like, gonna sh can I curse on here? 
yeah. shit themselves. Maybe, maybe <laughs> this is this. So the Adam Carolla show, she's going to be on tomorrow. That that goes out the same day, I'm pretty sure. Um, and uh, then Fox 11 will be on live tonight. At, you'll be on about 7.15, something like that. Cool. And Jillian just bailed. She's selling her house. Oh. Okay, so Jillian will do that some future date. There's there's always chance for that. Mm. Uh, and there's other people rolling around wanting us and to And then next stuff. week you're doing uh, Juicy Scoop and also Life of the Wife of the Party. Oh, my God. Are we going in for those? Yeah, Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know what Wife of the Party is. It's uh, Bert Kreischer's wife. Okay. And it, she's. you will love her. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. She's you'll lovely. get along. Yeah, you'll be fine with her. She uh, thinks her daughter's psychic. Oh, boy. The psychic walked up to Lila and said, and said, you're very psychic. And she was actually, I actually had Rebecca go over to her house because they thought they had a ghost in their house. Oh, was she the one that did that? Yeah. I have the video. I never put it up, published it, but. All right. Maybe I'll do it for Halloween. The Machine. That's right, Casey. And The Machine is going to be a movie coming up soon. They filmed it in Serbia. It sounds like it was really good. Uh, thank you, uh, car guy. And I think, I think Leanne's psychic too, because she told me that Christina and I would be really good friends. Or maybe she just has really good judgment. Who knew? So we're really good friends now. I I love her. I love Tom. We're going down to Austin a couple weeks. Before things close out, I want to tell you how you can find me. Good. Do it. Do it. (laughs) Um, my Twitter and Instagram, Hamdel, 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 Hamdel. Uh, is <laughs> M-I-Z-Piggy-111. And my website is paulinapinski.com. If you need help with writing, I'm here for hire. And, and that describe the spectrum of what, when people, you know, what, when does somebody know they need a, a writing coach? So I've done a lot of writing coaching. I've helped people generate material for memoirs. I've edited manuscripts, uh, screenplays, novels, tweets um college applications applications is a big one that i do i've helped people i helped my brother get into law school i've gotten myself and a friend into the columbia mfa program i've got one kid into middlebury like if you have a dream school contact me i will help you um i'm very good at applications um but ultimately if you have a writing project in mind and you know, you don't know how to execute it, but it's been percolating in the back of your head and it wakes you up in the middle of the night and you like write little bits on a scrap of paper and you just have like a pile of paper. I can help you sort that out, refine, edit, shape. Cool. That actually, I wish I did that. I mean, maybe I'll start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> stuff, I have lots Next of weird thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I just so- need somebody to do that with my day. Well, you're going to have to pay me a lot for that. <laughs> You're talking you need about a, a personal assistant. You're talking about a babysitter, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you will be doing it one day. All right. Thank you, Caleb, for producing this. We appreciate <laughs> it. We have uh, Joycelyn Elders coming in here next week. I don't know if you remember Joycelyn Elders. You she, did? You got her? Got her. Yeah, I called her today. And uh, she goes, I remember you. And she goes, she goes I'm 88 now. And I, she was as sharp as ever. And there's a picture of her there. In of front course. Of wait, wait, wait. Am I going to be here for that? Uh, what day Wednesday? Now you're flying out. Yeah. No, can I fly out later? I want to meet her so bad. Well, you meet her. She'll be. It's all Zoom. I know, stuff. but I still want to be there and she, ask her question. You can I'll, watch I'll, it on the plane. No, I want to be there. I will right, we'll talk about that. But, <laughs> but but Joycelyn is somebody I did a project with years ago. We were we were trying. We were part of this sort of think tank. You can together, take a red eye or something. Put, put together by a group called Church and White, and they were trying to get people to condom messaging it's all the stuff they should be doing now with health messaging we were doing way back then during the hiv thing she was on um 70 over 70 which is my favorite podcast right now and she told a story about 
I don't remember who the daughter was, but it was some high ranking official. And the eight year old daughter had her purse and he was like, what's in your purse? And she said, Dr. Evelyn told me that whenever I have a purse, I need to have a condom in it. <laughs> and the dad was like, Whoa. Yeah, people, <laughs> people, that was during the Clinton era. She was the attorney, the surgeon general for she that. She had to resign. She had to resign for, it was, it was the beginning of fake news. She, the things she said at the podium were taken out of context, turned into fake news. Don't leave it in the Shit hall. Shit storms ensued. She had to step down and we lost a major, major, uh, Asset contribution. No, and she was. She is. Now, thank God, because she's such a great person, she has continued to contribute a lot, and uh, she will continue to do so uh, next Wednesday when she comes in here at the age of eighty-eight. And ask Dr. Drew. So, have your questions ready. Someone asked about my degree, and I want to just okay, real quick. Yeah, uh, I have an MFA, a Master of Fine Arts, and nonfiction creative writing from Columbia. Columbia. And uh, I called somebody, Caleb came up with a number. I said, I'm call it. Called her. She answered the phone directly. You're she still on Jocelyn, though. I want to be there so badly. I know. I understand why. I get it. But anyway, she, you watch I, it. I, have a, I have so many questions about the world today for her because she she's like a repository of wisdom. And she was in the middle of shitstorms before shitstorms were so common. Exactly. So, so we'll, she we'll lived, too. She's still here. She's 88. So there she you sounds go. great. She, says she's she said well. on the podcast, the moment... I stop telling the truth is the moment I die. Mm. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I walked away thinking about that. I, I told her, I said, look, I got a million things I want to ask you. And she goes, hey, it's me. You know how I am. I said, yeah, <laughs> I do. So good. Hopefully the last thing she says is I'm not going to die. Yeah. Well. So all right, that, and then we have uh, Mike Catherwood in here tomorrow, my old love line companion. He'll be in here four o'clock. Is that correct, Susan? Yes. And then uh, Justin Elders next Wednesday. And uh, we appreciate you all being here. We appreciate you, all of you on uh, Clubhouse. We're going to end. And Restream, we'll figure out why Twitter doesn't uh, transcribe to Restream, hopefully, Caleb. We're going to um, stop the Clubhouse room now. Thank you all for being here. We're going to end that room. Appreciate that. Oh, I should have advertised my thing for Clubhouse. Well, I guess I'll do it now. What thing for Clubhouse? Um, I was doing it a little bit in the summer and I'm thinking about bringing back, but I've been holding uh, creative writing happy hours where I either share a video or an excerpt and then we free write for 20 minutes and then we all share. Um, and it's accrued an international audience, which has been pretty cool, but I haven't had time to do it, but I'm hoping to bring it back. So that might be a way to connect with me. Yeah. Follow. Where do you follow on on Clubhouse. On Clubhouse, let's see what my I think I'm probably M I Z Pinky one one one, but I will double check. I am M I Z Pinky one one one. Good. Yeah. So that's your handle. That's me. Gonna be your hashtag. Somebody says I got redder during the podcast. That would be a camera thing. It didn't actually happen. So I, I'm looking over at this shot there. It does He's look a little so redder. embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you much for being here, and we will see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800 
273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.